Morning, church. Good morning, church. All right. Glad to have you here worshiping with us. Uh, thank you for your singing that like uh, catapults all of us into the Lord's presence uh, hearing you. And there's power in numbers. So even if you're someone like me that doesn't sound very good, you, you do in the masses. Uh, and so uh, glad that you're here and that you're singing out, um, encouraging Heather and the team as they lead us. Uh, it's an incredible time uh, to be together, even though it's summer. And what's great is all of you are on va uh, different vacations, different trips. You pop in, pop out. Our hope is that whether you've been gone for a week or a two or three or, or a month, that when you come back, it just feels like home. You just slip right back in, uh, right back into worship, right into the conversations, coffee, tea, bagels, and right into the message as well. So hopefully this feels like home. If you're a guest or visitor, I uh, want to give a, a few housekeeping notes. Uh, we always encourage at any time, if you want a refill on coffee or tea or another bagel, please make your way around the room at, at your leisure. You're not going to bother me. You're not going to bother any of us. This is your home. This is your living room, and we want you to uh, feel at home. So we have this week and one more week on the series that we've been in for uh, nine weeks on First John. If you've missed any of those messages and you want to catch up, all of those are online. You can catch those both on our website and our app that is free, both iOS and Android. You can catch up on those. Um, and it's been an incredible journey of different topics of what John is, is teaching all the churches throughout kind of the general Asia minor in, in kind of setting theology correct, but also teaching on what is this Christian life uh, that we're supposed to live. And this morning, uh, we come to uh, a topic that I've been ridiculously excited for all week. Uh, sometimes there's a morning where I'm going to speak on something and, and I'm not as excited as maybe another week. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, maybe I'm concerned about the topic, how I'm going to word it, how, how you all are going to receive it. Uh, maybe it's a little bit of a challenge or it's, or it's a little bit um, uh, of a topic that could create some debate. And so some topics are uh, good feeling and others are a little nerve-wracking. This one I'm ridiculously excited for. Uh, and so I'm a little hyped up with coffee, a little hyped up from worship, a little hyped up uh, for game night tomorrow. And so uh, hold on to your seats. Uh, open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. We're getting ready to close this out, 1 John 5. If you don't have a Bible, we have one in front of the seat uh, for you, or you can just go ahead and turn yours on, uh, phone or tablet of such. We're talking about faith this morning, uh, a, a passionate idea of what is faith. And the reality is all of us in this room and everybody out there, those who are at go to another church, those who want nothing to do with church, those who will never step foot in a church, all of us exercise faith on a day-to-day -day basis. You are exercising faith right now that we've given you a solid chair to sit on, that it's not going to collapse underneath you. You don't think of it. You just blindly have faith in that chair and you've sat upon it. If you question whether or not that is faith, think of it crashing right now and how that makes you feel. All of you, every time you get in a vehicle, you exercise faith. Every time you make a deposit into your savings account, you're exercising some faith. How many of you don't like to fly? Raise your hand. 
uh, a few chickens. Good. Uh, so <laughs> Ethan, my beautiful bride, Sandy, and Alan, you guys can have like a, a support group. Um, every time you fly, you exercise faith that the flight attendants and the pilots know exactly what they were doing. You, you trust that air traffic control knows what they're doing and that they haven't had a couple of cold ones. You're having faith in something. Every single one of us have faith in something. When you go out to dinner, you trust that those who are making your dinner in the back kitchen have washed their hands. See, you don't, you don't like to think about that, do you? <laughs> but you like to have faith that they do. You like to have faith if they sneeze, they've cleaned up appropriately. Some don't. Hopefully that's not news to you. That's why God gave you a liver. Okay? But we all exercise faith in some way, in some fashion in life. It's just as Christians, we're a little bit more outward with it. We're a little bit more vocal with it. And listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 5. It'll be here on the screen right there. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commands. That's a toughie. We're going to unpack that. Loving God means that we keep his commandments, and really, that isn't difficult. Uh, we'll come back to that. For every child of God defeats this evil world by trusting Christ to give the victory. And the ones who win the battle against the world are the ones who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Everyone likes to say, especially in this world where we go, don't define me. Don't tell me who I am. Don't tell me what I'm supposed to believe. I am here to tell you the Bible is abundantly clear who is a follower of Christ. And again, I know we live in a world that does not like parameters, that doesn't want finger pointing. John, and in other places, is ridiculously abundantly clear who is a Christian and who is not, how you can be sure of your faith. And what we learn here, first and foremost, is that it's rooted in Christ. Faith, following Jesus, following this Christian movement, it's rooted in this man, God come to earth. Jesus Christ. It delights in obedience. That means following directions, following commands, and it overcomes the world. And we talked about the world a while ago and several weeks ago. We're going to unpack that a little bit more. Paul Tripp is a, uh, an incredible uh, writer. He has several devotions. He's, he's got uh, several books out uh, in one of his devotionals in New Morning Mercies. He writes this, if you are God's child, you are deeply loved by God today. And even if in your human relationships you are alone, you are never alone. You are completely loved by the God of the universe. And I just want to pause for a moment and say if, if you're a single, if you're a widow, if you're a married, if you're a teen, and, and it feels like, man, I, I'm just going through this season, I just, I just feel alone. I want to say, you are not alone. Please allow me to give you that truth. You are not 
alone. God is right there beside you. It might seem dark. The waves might be crashing around your boat. Lightning might be striking. You might be hearing deep thunder. You are not alone in your storm because of faith. Because how do we know we're not alone? As followers of Christ, as we go through life's heartaches, we got a seat right here for you, Grace. As we go through life's heartaches and the storms happen and parenting is hard, how do we know we're not alone? Because raise your hand if you've ever felt like you're alone in anything. Like no one understands. I'm the only one going through this. My kids are the only ones who act like this. I'm the only one looking for a job. My finances are screwed up. I'm the only one. We can think that way. And how do we know we're not alone? Because we're loved by God, by faith. Hebrews 11.1 says this, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of the things we cannot see. Let me explain it like this. If you have a newborn, that newborn, as you goo ga 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 goo 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 ga, you sit with that baby, you make faces, you try and make it laugh, you try and get it to go to sleep, you tiptoe out, Alex Manning, you're not too far out of this, you pray to God they don't wake up. And if that baby wakes up and doesn't see you, the baby will believe I'm alone. Now, you're on the other door, you're on the other side of the door praying in tongues and asking God to keep that, <laughs> keep that child asleep for the next 24 hours. But that baby thinks it's alone. It's not alone. You're right there. And that's kind of how our Christian faith kind of works. Sometimes when we're in the infant stages, we can think, I'm alone in this. And as we mature, much like a child, that child will realize, I'm not alone they're just being mean. They're watching Netflix, and so if I scream louder, I know they're there. So now you have a different problem. The baby isn't thinking you're not there. It's just going to scream louder because you will eventually come, and you will. And as we mature in faith, it's the same thing. We know that God is there. And the Bible says, especially in the Psalms, we are to go out into the mountains and scream for God because we know he's present. And that gives us hope. Faith is acknowledging that God has never left. He never will. The Trinity dwells inside. So what we're going to talk about this morning, three different categories of what is maturing faith. What is faith really rooted and grounded in? And how do we know for sure that that's happening? It's a litmus test for all of us. The first point that we're going to look at is that faith is rooted in Jesus Christ. It's not rooted in anything else. It's not rooted in spiritualness. It's not rooted in activities. It's not rooted in how much we give uh, in the offering. It's not rooted in how much we serve. It's rooted in Jesus Christ. We see that in chapter 1 or chapter 5, verse 1, and a little bit in verse 5. The Messiah... The anointed one, the atoning one for sin, we read in this passage, believe in, believe is a present tense, which means it's currently happening. It's happening right now. We're believing in, we're having faith in. It's believing, it, it points to a salvation that only comes from God and a faith that is only given at the point of salvation. 
from God himself, not by our doing, not by our achieving, not working really hard, not reading our Bible, not praying, not going to our 12th Bible study this week. That's not how faith happens. That's how growth happens. But faith is given by God, rooted in Jesus Christ. There's a famous British teacher named Martin Lloyd-Jones. He wrote a book called Life in Christ, a challenging book if you're looking for some new reading. He says this, The first thing we must get rid of is the idea that what makes us Christian is anything we have produced or anything for which we are responsible. How ready we are to think of being a Christian as a result of something that we do. I live a good life, therefore I am a Christian. I go to a place of worship, therefore I am a Christian. I do not do certain things, therefore I am a Christian. I believe, therefore I am a Christian. And the whole emphasis is on myself, upon what I do. But here, the entire emphasis regarding this chapter, he's talking about this chapter, here the entire emphasis is not upon man and his activity, but upon God. He who gives birth, he who produced, he who generates, he who gives life and being. And thus we see that we cannot be Christian at all unless God has done something to us. Friends, that's why we worship. That helps you understand why we sing. That helps you understand sometimes why you see tears going down the cheeks of a person because we realize God has reached out to me and therefore I have faith. It's all about him. John is not just saying that faith is rooted in God. It comes from God. The only way we have faith is because he gives it. And what this has grown to me is that my life, I hope you take some solace in this, my life is and always has been in the hands of God. Not in my hands, not in these weak hands, not in my poor decisions, not in my mistakes, not in my struggles. My life has been in the hands of the creator of the universe. And even when my faith has been hot and then cold, up and down, twisting and sideways, good times and bad, my life is in the hands of the God of this universe. My faith comes from God, not from me. It reiterates this, this, these verses, they reiterate this unbelievable truth. He is my king. He is the ruler of my life. He is the king of my faith. He's the king of my, my past and my present and my future. He is the king, not me, not you. Not on your best day, not on your worst day. You are not king. You are not the king of your life. You are not in control. God oversees it all. God governs it all. We like to think that we are, but we're not. And it's a truth that we have to pause even for just a moment to wrap our minds around because this is not a thing that's restricting. It's a thing that's freeing. 
Because God is so much bigger than us, and, and he is the one that's in control. And John is saying, if you want to know if you are a child of God, if you want to know that you are a Christian, this is how we know our faith is rooted in Jesus Christ. We submit to Jesus Christ. He calls the shots. He directs our morals. He, he directs our ethics. He chooses our life. We listen to him. We receive directive from him. And we say, yes, Lord. Everybody has faith in something. It's just a matter of if your faith of that thing that you, you've chosen is going to crack or not. And the Bible says, I don't. The Bible says, if you put your faith in anything else but Jesus Christ, it's going to crack. It's not to hurt you. It's not to be malicious. It's just a matter of truth or lie. And this is truth. Any foundation other than Jesus, it's going to crack. It might not be today. It might not even be tomorrow. It might not even be for years. It may not even be until the day of judgment. But that foundation is going to crack. The second idea about faith, and this is a little bit hard. But, but I'm hoping as we discuss this, it'll start to light up a little bit. Faith delights in obedience. How many of you love to obey someone else? Husbands, you better get your hands up. Thank you. A few smart ones. The Bible says that the growing Christian delights in obedience. You want to talk about a foreign concept in our world today, in our culture? Go to someone and say, you need to delight in being told what to do and see what conversation you get. Go downtown Boulder or downtown Denver and say, how well do you like to be instructed and told what to do? It'll be a fascinating conversation. I want to say this right off the bat with this particular one. Out of the three that we're going to talk about, this is the hardest to wrap our minds around. Because what John is saying is the Christian life, the commands, the desires, the parameters that God presents is not a duty, it's a delight. Look at his words at the end of verse 3. His commands are not burdensome. His commands aren't burdensome. This is crazy to think about in the world that we live. We tend to think, well, and, and a lot of our Christian friends, especially I can remember as a teenager, a lot of my friends going, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to follow Christ because all, all Christianity does is like take your fun. Like it's just a bunch of things that you can't do. It's a burden. Why would I ever want to do some of those things? And this is crazy to think about in the world that we live because we are taught from a very young age that joy and freedom come without parameters. You with me? If my boys go out and I have three boys, if I take them out to the forest and I say, you can run between that tree and that rock nowhere else. They will have somewhat amount of fun. They will find a way to put each other in the hospital just in that little short space. But if I say, run, and only come back if I whistle, which do you think is going to give them more joy in the immediacy? 
the ladder until they fall, until they get hurt, until someone falls off a boulder or worse. You see, parameters, the, the guidelines, the commands that God gives, they're not supposed to be a burden. They're not supposed to be a killjoy. John is saying you can't live like that. You can't live without parameters. No society would exist correctly in that kind of a world where we just say, everyone do whatever you think is right and go wherever you want, drive wherever you want, drive as fast as you want. That's California. Do whatever you want. Am I right? Like that is California. Do whatever you want. And we see historically in this nation alone, if we live like that, it becomes complete chaos. And it's the same thing with faith. It's the same thing with following Jesus. A society can't live like that and, and survive. And then John adds that joy is found in obedience. Listen, let me say that again. Joy is truly found in obedience. Some of you, just use that as your nugget that you take home today. Joy is found in obedience. It's absurd. But follow John's logic starting in verse 1, uh, in, in chapter 1. John is, is so abundantly clear. The one who has existed from the beginning is the one that we have seen and heard. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is Jesus Christ, the word of life. And then he goes on to say what he says we do. In the new birth in Christ, we receive a new nature. Christians, followers of Christ, believe that when we receive salvation, there's a new birth, a new nature, a new desire, new priorities. You want to know one of the differences is if Christ is really living and active in your life, then look at your life before you accepted Christ and then several years after. If you are still the same person, something's wrong. The desires, the motives, the priorities change when we accept Christ. And John says that out of that new nature that we receive, when Jesus through the Holy Spirit is acting in, in us, comes new desires, new hopes, new dreams, new values. It means that we desire God above everything and everyone else. I told you this is a hard one. Because some of you are, are here, and I have been there, you think, I don't, I don't know if I have the ability to love God above everything else. I really love my iPhone. I really love my kid. I really love my spouse. I really love my car. Do I really love and desire God more than those things? That's a tall order, Brian. And my answer is yes, it is. Listen to what Pastor John Piper says in regards to this. He says, what you desire to do with your whole heart is not burdensome to do. I want you to think about this for just a moment. And I want to show you how it works. For me, it's several things. If I go shooting, or if I go on a motorcycle ride, or if I get to sit and read a book without being bothered by human beings shorter than my waist, if I get to sit around a campfire, if I get to go fishing, that's not a burden to me. None of those things are a burden to me. 
You don't have to twist my arm for any of those things. They give me joy. It's a brand new mother or father holding a newborn. That's not a pain in the neck. That's not a burden. That's a joy. Now, if you start smelling something, that can be a burden. <laughs> but if they smell like baby powder and they're in a cute little outfit, that's not a burden. That's life-giving. That's joy. You don't have to force a mom to do that. You don't have to force me to go on a date with Sandy. That's not a burden for me. And sometimes it's not a burden for Sandy. <laughs> I love that. I love, you don't have to force me to go on a date with Sandy. If you want to take me to William Oliver's in Lafayette, you don't have to beg me. Just, you don't even have to ask me flat out. Just kind of insinuate it. Hint at it, and we'll go. You understand what I'm saying? The, the things that capture your heart are not a burden. That's why serving in church and, and giving of the offering and, and worshiping and reading your Bible and praying, if that's a burden for you, then it's not really the action you need to look at. It's the condition of the heart. Has God captured your heart? Because he says to delight in obedience. Not a burden. Do you delight in honoring God? In obeying God and serving God? In response to what he has done for you? Not to earn something, not to pay him back, not out of guilt, but out of response. And if it's a struggle for you, please know, please know my heart on this. This is not accusatory. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm saying from past experience, I have lived this for many, many years. If this is you where there are burdens, there are bur there's burdens on reading your Bible, there's burdens in prayer, there's burdens in an offering, there's burdens in serving. Let me just say this unbelievable truth because I had to live this out. It's usually because the truths of God are stuck in your head and they have not made it down to your heart. Because when those truths make it to your heart, all bets are off. And that's part of our mission statement to help every single person take the next step in becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. So for you, maybe it's just find your Bible. You know you have one, it's just somewhere in your house. Just find it. Maybe it's talk to God. Introduce yourself again. Maybe for some of you, like Miranda, it's, it's go overseas for six months on a mission trip or, or join the Dickinsons in Africa or go to Hope's Promise in Africa or, or go with us on a trip to Juarez. Maybe it's start a life group. Maybe it's serve and thrive student ministries. Bless you. I don't know what it is. I, I'm just saying those truths that are in your head have to sink down into your heart if you're looking for life change. If you're looking to become further a follower of Jesus, there has to be that transition. 
so that his commands become a delight and not a burden. Please know when I say this, I'm not saying go home today and somehow say, say to yourself over and over, the Lord is not a burden. The Lord is not a burden. You're not gonna, you're, that will not do it. This isn't a mantra. You're not trying to twist your mind a little bit. This is the closer you get with the one you love, it becomes to be not a burden. As the years go on, in August, it will be 21 years for Sandy and I. As the years go on, there isn't a hint of a burden. I, I delight in spending the time. And so John says that the follower of Christ finds joy in obeying his commands. They're not a burden. And make no mistake about it, our hearts have been captured. Let's, let's kind of even the playing field right now. Our hearts have been captured by our jobs, raising kids, finances, vacations, friends, home improvements, and on and on and on. And so we as Christians, over time, and this doesn't happen immediately, but over time, we've talked about this before, we begin to live horizontally on that which we can touch and experience rather than vertically. Because this takes a lot more work between us and God. And that's to encourage. Because the opposite of that, if we're not growing, there are moments when our Jesus is small. You, have you been there before? Where your Jesus is really small? You, you, you maybe utter the phrase, there's no way, fill in the blank. I can't see how this is going to fill in the blank. And our Jesus becomes small. And our faith becomes small. And our Holy Spirit moments become small because our faith is small. This is John trying to encourage the people that are trying their best in a very difficult place to follow Jesus. And John says the commands of Jesus, they're not burdensome, they're a delight. And that takes place when we press as hard as we can on a minute by minute, day to day, week by week, month by month basis to push down those truths from our head. Sometimes it's especially in students where you've heard the truth all your life and now in high school and college, it is now becoming your heart. And we see that. And then Christ, because he has become so real in our hearts that gets squeezed into our marriages and into our friendships, into our neighbors, into our workplace. It just becomes a part of who we are. The last one is this. Faith does an incredible thing and in that John says that it overcomes the world. Faith overcomes the world, verse four. Here's what's pretty interesting about this. Overcome and victory that we read in our passage come from this one single Greek word. One word. Nike. Nike. Nike was the Greek goddess of victory. 
the goddess who had wings. And so John is saying to these Christians in their Greco-Roman culture so that they would understand and relate to what he is presenting to them that your faith in Jesus Christ is your Nike. Your faith in Jesus Christ is your Nike. It's your victory. It's the way that you overcome. It's your victory. You win. How do you win in the midst of circumstances? Maybe your circumstances don't change, but you win because of your Nike. You win because of your faith. And John ties these two together. It's what gives you wings. It's what causes you when, when you are defeated as a parent and you're exhausted and you're banging your head on the table trying to figure out, how do I raise these kids? How do I do this? It's your Nike. It's your faith. It's Jesus who helps you. When you're wondering what the next step in the journey of life is going to be and you're looking, your victory is your faith. You're overcoming. It's your Nike. And what do I mean by you will overcome the world? What is John referring to? It's true that the Bible says the world is loved by God and we are to love and enjoy this world. I hope you are. We're to evangelize the world. Those are the commands in the Bible. But we are not to be shaped by the world. Two very different things. Love this world. Don't be shaped by it but love it. It should not define our values, other words. We spoke about this at the beginning of the series in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Here's what it says. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. World is this interesting idea. But don't miss how powerful John's words are in verse 15. Do not love this world. I want to read another quote from you. And this is an incredible, Mr. Mahaney wrote this uh, book called Worldliness. And here's what he says. And this is a commentary from our passage. There is nothing subtle about this sentence, verse 15. It's abrupt and to the point, only 10 words. It's categorical, do not love the world. It's comprehensive, do not love anything in the world. And it's intrusive strategically aimed at whatever we desire the most, anything in the world. Today, the greatest challenge facing American evangelicals is not the persecution from the world, but the seduction by the world. Just beautiful writings. So for us to understand that, how faith overcomes the world, I just want to remind you, when John uses the word world, he does not mean God's creation. He does not mean human beings or earth. He does not mean the blessings of modern day society, indoor plumbing, internet, hot water, in and out. He does, he's not referring to that. 
world here is a reference of the vast human system alienated and hostile towards God. This is what John's referring to. When he said, don't love the world, don't love those things that is the human system that's alienated, separated from God, and it's hostile towards God. Don't love those things. Be very, very careful. And John's answer to the question of how do we overcome is by faith. Day to day, minute by minute, situation awareness, faith in God. That's how we overcome. And this isn't to say that our days are going to be easy because we have faith. Faith isn't a lottery ticket and it means you won. Faith doesn't mean that every friendship in your marriage is going to be the perfect one. That you're going to have good hair days every day. Sometimes we can fall into that trap. I'm a Christian. Why is life still hard? And I'll just be honest with you. And I try and be as transparent as I possibly can on a regular basis. There are days when I overcome the world. And friends, there are days when the world overcomes me. I wish it weren't so. I wish I could tell you that I have figured out the solution that every day without failure, I will overcome. And it's just not there. It will be when I see my Heavenly Father face to face. It will be when I'm embraced by Jesus and he has to tell me, okay, enough, long enough hug. Because <laughs> I'm holding on. And I will not let go. I do that figuratively right now. I will do it literally someday. And then, and only then, will I have overcome. We all have good days. We all have bad days. But we need to remember, God has not left us. He never will. And he's there to help us keep going in faith, even when we don't believe in ourselves. Even when you don't believe in you. One of my twins, Seth, all my boys... Um, ride bikes. Last year, I had just a, uh, a horrible parenting snafu, and I took the bike boys on a bike ride, and um, Seth was at the top of this hill over by the dog park in Superior, and he's like, I'm going to go down. And I had this moment where I thought, I don't, that's just not a good idea. <laughs> and then I thought, don't be that dad. Like, you've got boys, just, <laughs> just send them. And it was literally like this angel demon conversation and the angel lost and so i sent seth down he really wanted to go and so i finally said okay you can go remember we talked about the parameters and so he went and i don't know roughly like a half a second in i realized he was in trouble it started with his handlebars going side to side and his feet off the pedals and a scream. Those were clues. <laughs> and Seth got to the bottom. He, he hit a hole and he just launched. And I was running the entire way, just not even breathing after him. I don't, 
thinking that I could maybe catch him and stop it. And you know as a parent, you might think that, but you can't. And he got really hurt. He didn't go to the hospital. We didn't, thank God we didn't have a copay. You with me? <laughs> I wasn't thinking about the copay at the moment. <laughs> that came very few seconds later. Um, but he wasn't hurt. He, he was hurt, but he wasn't like emergency room hurt. Well, the problem with that is he stopped riding a bike for over a year. Wouldn't get on it. We'd go on family bike rides, and he would scooter, his Razor scooter. You know how hard it is to keep up with people bike riding on a scooter? And that little guy, man, 10 years old, somehow he kept up. Well, the other day, he said, I want to I wanna start riding again. And I just didn't know how to handle it as a dad. And so we, we got him a bike, and um, I decided I would go out with him, and we'd ride around the cul-de-sac. And he literally had to relearn how to ride again. His confidence, his assurance was so shot because of his dad that we had to go through that together. And the other day we were uh, at the um, BMX park in Superior, which is also an incredible great opportunity for injury. But <laughs> so, so we were there and lo and behold, um, Seth crashed again. And we were getting ready to leave and all of his cousins, and all of his cousins are just psycho great riders and his brothers are, are great riders and Seth is kind of the lowest and and he came to me and he, he kind of rode up next to me he's like I'm not going to be good at this I should just go back to my scooter and I said Seth you're wrong you're a leader and he said what are you talking about I crash all the time I said, yeah, but you're getting better. And I want you to go up there and I want you to lead all of us home. He needed his father to believe in him. Now, the whole way home, I thought, he's going to crash. <laughs> I'm not that holy. But from Seth's perspective, he had the backing of his father. He knew I believed in him. And we got home and he didn't crash once. And we got home and I'm like, you're such a great leader. Friends, when you think, I just can't do it anymore. I'm not good at this. I'm not a good mom. I'm not a good friend. Can you just remember the father is there going, you're a leader. We have faith because the father has all the faith in the world in us. And listen, things in life do happen. We crash on a bike. Sometimes we get really bad injuries. Sometimes just some road burn. We succumb to lust and failure and bad attitudes and losing patience with our kids, losing our jobs, struggling financially, poor decisions. We drop our purity standards. And if we're not careful, sometimes those things can begin to define us. But we are not defined by our failures. We are defined by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are defined by the God of the universe that loves us by grace. That while we were still yet sinners, he came and died for us. And much like that little baby, 
who wonders where have they gone. God hasn't gone anywhere. He's right there with you. He's trudging through right there with you. And yeah, you might crash and he might have to run down to the bottom of the hill, but he'll dust you off, he'll heal you, and then get you back on track. And because of that faith, that's why John says we can overcome. That faith rooted in Christ. Let's just spend um, a minute and just be quiet. Um, I feel like sometimes we're so in a rush to go to the next thing, go to the next worship song, go to the next message, that we don't really have time to just talk with God. And so we're just going to be quiet here for a second. Is that okay, Heather? And then, uh, and then Heather and the team will lead us. Would you talk to your, Would you talk to your father? Whatever you want to say. But just use this time. Let's bow our heads and let's let's talk to the God of all creation. <laughs>